And it's time for the DC Comics News Podcast, episode number 41. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. I'm joined today by Kelly Gaines. Could you say hi for us, Kelly? Hello. All right. And also joining us is Brad Felicki. Brad, say hello. Hey, hey. And you probably recognize them from regular appearances on DC Comics News Podcast and also from reading their content on DC Comics News, whether it's editorials, reviews, news, you name it. These are the voices. These are the eyes behind the stories. And that's why they're the best people to bring in for this conversation. Unfortunately, you might be missing one extra voice. Steve J. Ray not able to join us this time. We're going to come up to why that's important a little bit later. But first off, Steve, we miss your British tones. We miss your influence. Looking forward to having you on next time. And also, a little disappointed we don't get to hear immediately your thoughts on one of our upcoming stories. What does that mean? Well, it means that you have to get through a few other stories before we get to that fun bit. But the stories we do have are really, really good. I'm going to start things off in the movie section, which is generally kind of our beginning area, with an announcement that the leaked Birds of Trey teaser is to be shown in theaters only. And it looks like they've got it tied to the It Chapter 2 film. Hmm. Okay. Just on face value. Kelly, what was your initial reaction and how did that change or get reaffirmed as you uh, read more about this story? I think I think it's a fun sort of advertising to attach that specific ad to the it movies um and you know so yes it will only appear in theaters but i believe it was there's red balloons and then harley quinn smashing them and saying she's sick of clowns which i attached to it that's hilarious and it ties everything back perfectly to you know kind of the core about what harley's doing in this movie and her break away from the joker and kind of branching out on her own so i, I think it's fun and i actually enjoy looking back at I know a lot of the um like VHS releases I had when I was a kid if it was a release for Jimmy Neutron the ads that played before it sometimes would tie directly into the Jimmy Neutron movie or something like that so I I like it it's fun um I don't think it takes anything away from the actual advertising of the movie so I you know good it it sounds like it'll be good I don't know that I'll see it in theaters so I'm a little upset about that but (laughs) yeah no it, it seems like it'll be a good time Brad now, I'm a huge, huge Stephen King fan, so I I did go to see it already, and I loved how they, they did that. I haven't seen anything like that, like they do a catered trailer to a movie in a while, so that was a lot of fun. Now, I kind of wish uh, that I didn't know it was going to be there before I went in, because the way that they did uh, squeeze it in there would have been really cool had I not known, had it been a surprise. Usually I don't mind spoilers. Uh, this one kind of, I would have loved it even more because I had a, I had a friend who actually saw it before me and he was, and I texted him. I said, they're, they're going to be showing a birds of prey trailer before it. So let me know how it is. And he texted me, Oh, they didn't play it. Two seconds later said, Oh no, wait, it was right before it was like, uh, I thought the movie was starting. And that was just really cool. And I wish I could have had that kind of like, oh, wow, it's a Birds of, Tra- Birds of Prey trailer and not even not know it going in. But the um, the trailer was fun. Makes me more excited to see the movie. And I also like the use of the um, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah song uh, in it as well. Seth, what do you think? Well, I like the idea behind this story. One, Kelly, I'm, I'm just going to go back to you really quick. Thank you for bringing back the preview movies 
and mm-hmm. the little previews that existed on VHS movies. Way to go back to just a, a, a time capsule kind of moment, because I know mm-hmm. I remembered those. I'm pretty sure, Brad, you had the same sort of recall when she mentioned yeah. that. I well, instantly I thought... Sorry, go ahead. The first one was for Top Gun, from what I remember being. It was like a Pepsi commercial, That's from what awesome. I remember. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I do remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember those things. And I remember that it, sometimes you would have like someone you knew who would buy a movie and then you'd go to watch it. And then all of a sudden this preview would come on for like a movie from that time period. And this was supposed to be the big preview for it. And I remember thinking to myself, that's a bit weird, you know. Seeing that preview, knowing it's not in theaters 10 years later, and yet here we are watching. Okay, interesting. But I like when they build it in. And Brad, I, I love that you, uh, you're you able to echo what Kelly was talking about with the whole concept and having already seen it in the film. Thanks for that first-person perspective. I think it really helps. And the idea of how it sounds like both your friend and you felt that it was designed to blend into the intro to It Chapter 2 as though it was almost part of the movie until you'd sort of like cut away, oh, this is actually part of an ad, it's just in the theme of the movie, which I think is a really cool concept. Um, It actually makes me think back to uh, some images that were being shared of the promos for the recent Child's Play movie. Uh, It was messing with the Toy Story characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that same kind of tone. Kelly, I don't know if you got a chance to see those or not, or if you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, those, and that is, I'm amazed that they actually got to tie that into a, a Disney franchise. That's that's impressive. <laughs> I have to agree, but I, I do like the ingenuity when it comes to the marketing approach. Like, okay, how can we take advantage of this in the best possible way? And here they've done it by taking the tone of it and then having a little bit of Harley Quinn fun with it and then dropping you right into the movie that's a pretty smart little teaser i I am curious though that in this article it mentions that warner brothers did something similar with a movie called tenet and i didn't see tenet or the uh the the sort of move that they did with that regarding the uh christopher nolan robert pattinson movie um and it was sort of i guess tied into the front of fast and furious hobbs and shaw have either of you seen that or familiar with this comparison that they're making? I just wanted to get over Well, I saw Hobbs and Shaw, but I don't remember the Tenet trailer being something specific for it. I think that I do remember that they showed the trailer uh, before Hobbs and Shaw, from what I recall, but not that it had something special to do. So maybe we got like a print without the, the right trailer or something. Intriguing. Or maybe this is just a similar sort of concept having this teaser right before the movie but it didn't take advantage of matching the tone the way it sounds like uh the uh, birds of prey was able to kelly did you see have you seen hobbs and shaw no no i haven't seen it so i i mean yeah and actually i feel like that'd be hard to tie together tenant and hobbs and shaw but yeah no i haven't seen that interesting i i'm i'm just curious I, i haven't seen hobbs and shaw either so it's just when they tied that idea into this article, I thought, I wonder if anyone else has had a chance to compare those two concepts and see which one is actually uh, closer to this idea that Birds of Prey was doing. There's a little bit more on the horizon when it comes to characters we might recognize as being connected to Harley Quinn. And that would be a, a slew of headlines coming out regarding the new Joker movie 
The reviews have been coming in steadily, something we talked about last week. I feel like this is a movie we're going to be talking about two years from now and probably about its continued influence and also about a hoped for possible follow up. But so many headlines are already coming out and it hasn't even reached domestic, at least, you know, U.S. box offices. First on the list of headlines coming out is the Joker to hit the Zurich Film Festival. We know that it's already made quite an impressive appearance at Venice, something we're going to come to in just a little bit. But first off, Kelly, I wanted to get your thoughts on the announcement that Joker will be heading to the Zurich Film Festival and how you felt about its uh, sort of listing among these other films that it's with and also just what this means for the movie in general. I really like that it seems like this movie is being taken as a more artistic piece than I think we've seen with other recent DC movies. Um, the fact that it's going to these film festivals, getting good reviews and, you know, an eight minute standing ovation in Venice. I, I think it's a really good indicator for the future of, at the very least, you know, the, the type of movies that DC can put out. Because if anything, this shows that if you really focus on the character, building a good, solid movie using, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be this kind of sparkly flash. Oh, look, there's Batman, there's Superman, there's some a character that... I'm really familiar with and the whole plot of the movie has to weigh on the fact that you're just seeing this character on the big screen. The Joker seems to be a movie that was written just to be a good movie. Um, and so I think that's a lot of the reaction that we're seeing. And I really hope that it continues to do good at the festivals that it's, I, I think it also said New York and Toronto it's going to be at. So I'm very excited. And I really, like you were saying, Seth, I really hope this is something that we, continue to see influence and talked about in the upcoming years as well. Uh, Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I think that Warner's uh, is pretty confident that they can maybe get some Academy Awards out of uh, the Joker. I think that's why they're kind of pushing it towards all these festivals. And the reaction has been amazing. So it seems like, by all indications, this movie is going to uh, be a hit at the Oscars as as well. And overall, I mean, every time it hits one of these film festivals, the buzz just grows and grows and grows. So I think that I, I think this movie's just going to do gangbusters. And, I, you know, like I've said this before, but I really can't wait to see it. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Well, I, I think if we were to take a poll, we would be among a very large, large number of people who just can't wait for this movie to come out. And it seems like this it just continues to build it. Kelly, I really thought that what you said about it being taken as a serious film and as an art film is really important. I feel that it also is then sort of putting it into a place where it's being judged uh, almost like in a hermetically sealed environment and not being weighed against anything else as a superhero movie, as a villain movie or anything else like that. And Brad, I, I think you're right on with the idea that what we're bringing to this is just an added degree of not only interest, but intensity and growing excitement over the fact that it's winning over these art crowds. It's winning them over in a way that people are saying, OK, so why is everybody so excited about the crazy clown guy who Batman punches around and always loses? And what what what's the appeal? And how they get Joaquin Phoenix? Like, what's going on? And it's moving beyond that, too. So let's talk about why this is an art film. Let's talk about why art film critics are going to be having arguments about 
where this falls into and whether or not this is anything that they can measure up against other art films or is it a standalone art film on its own? And I feel that by creating this sort of interest on all these different levels, we're only going to see a, a bit more of a frenzy as we get closer to the uh, release date. I think if I saw in almost every article, it's like they were just really clear to point out October 4th, as though it need to be like drilled into our minds. <laughs> were either of you worried that you'd forget it's October 4th? Or, you know. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> So I appreciate that they're bringing it up, but I love that this is sort of a great way to segue into this next article in which the Joker's director, Todd Phillips, is really clear when asked to explain how this is not a typical origin movie. I feel this really fits into this idea that we were just talking about, Kelly, and I was curious, since you brought up the idea of it being in, you know, an art film and a serious film, how this description from Todd Phillips kind of follows into what you were just saying. It's funny because I think for, you know, as we were saying, how it's a more artistic film now, the Joker is one of the most perfect characters DC has to fit that that bill um, because he doesn't have a set origin story. I know a lot of us uh, tend to take the killing joke as what his canon origin story is. But even in the killing joke, he says that he's not positive what his history is, which is perfect because I think the issue with a lot of comic book movies is fans already come to the theater with sort of a bad attitude if they think that something doesn't fit what was in the book or they don't think something fits what they envisioned for the character. Um, a character like the Joker, he can have any kind of backstory and we can just kind of nod and say, all right, yeah, that was a good telling and it can just be a good telling for the sake of the story that it is because we don't know what his actual history is. So yeah, I, and I like that Phillips already brought that sort of to the forefront by saying, you know, this origin story didn't have to necessarily pay homage to any other story that's come out about the Joker. It can be a movie in and of itself, and it didn't have to necessarily take any details from anywhere else. Um, and I, I think that's a really good way, or a really good foot to start off on when you're making a film, because if your main focus is just following the original text, then you might not necessarily write something that really has the depth and the meaning that you personally could bring to it. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the fact that it's not this typical origin has a lot to do with why it's it's so good and why it's so artistic and character driven and just really could draw a good actor to the role. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, the, I think that you nailed it with the fact that the Joker has the, uh, an ambiguous origin. So gives writers and directors a lot of room to play with. And, you know, even Christopher Nolan in uh, Dark Knight, he played with it, too, because the Joker gave how many stories and how he got the scars. So since we don't have that set story, there's so much that you can do and so much that you can say as a filmmaker or even as an actor or a scriptwriter to uh, to make the story very timely. And I think that that's one of the reasons why so far this film has resonated so much is that it is it is very timely and it is saying a lot about uh, modern society and i think that we knew going into this that it wasn't going to be your typical origin movie it just there was just no way that it could be uh seth what do you think 
Wow, I thought you guys both really established some great ideas in which to continue building this discussion around. Um, Kelly, I'm going to start off with what you were saying about how, sure, that's, there's an easy reference that can be made to the killing joke. All it takes is one bad day. But then that's not a requirement when writing the script for this film or writing the origin of this Joker. Um, and I really like the way that Todd Phillips kind of set this up by saying this isn't a Joker story, but this is a story of becoming Joker. And I really feel that that's sort of a distinction that by making it that clear, it's able to then sort of free it from all these other attachments of which the killing joke could be one. But by doing that and creating that sense of freedom, you've now given the scriptwriter the screenwriter, the director, the opportunity to tell an original story. And I thought it was really great that you sort of, you know, narrowed in on that idea. Because as soon as you were talking about it, I was like, that's right. We're telling now a Joker story. We're telling an, a story of becoming the Joker. Okay, we're narrowing it even closer. We're telling this version of how the Joker came to be. And Brad, you pointed out that this doesn't have to be the only version, you know, We've already seen examples of Christopher Nolan showing us how every time Heath Ledger told it, it changed. <laughs> and each one was a little creepier or each one gave just a slightly different sort of haunting tone. But that the haunting tone was there no matter which version it was. The idea being it doesn't really matter which one is the true one. They all sound like horrifying ideas and whether taken separately or as a whole. They're all this powerful transformation story. And in the end, I really feel like that's the biggest part about this movie. Uh, so by not being tied to that, it's able to have its own sort of, I guess, austerity, if that sounds like a word that fits. But also, I really thought you pointed to something, Brad, about the idea of this also allows it to be really timely by not trying to, as Kelly pointed out, be so tied to the original previous material. Because the other thing is, in many ways, this is like a comic book writer taking a story about one of these characters. If at any point they had to tell a story about a Joker origin, if they're just rehashing other Joker origins that we've heard told before, we're really going to be bored really fast. It's all going to feel like a hodgepodge of things we've seen previously. However, if we get a chance to see an original version, an original take, an original conceptualization of it, I think that's where the interesting part shows up. Um, and I really like the way you guys were both tying those ideas together to this this is a very specific story about the Joker on this screen movie, on this movie on screen, <laughs> coming into creation, you know, coming into being. And in doing so, it's it's a very separate thing all by itself. It doesn't have to pay homage to certain other things. It doesn't have to do anything else except be a story about how they visualize the Joker being created in the here and now. And thanks for giggling along. That means at least if I was bumbling over my words, someone was having fun in the process. <laughs> um, now, as I mentioned, this is just one of many Joker headlines that are coming through. And another one points to the fact that there are some details plot wise that have been revealed in some production notes. Kelly, uh, first reactions to this story, did you feel like these were salient details? Or was there a part of you going, okay, this is a story that's a whole lot about nothing? <laughs> I think the um, the details that 
we saw are they they point to a direction for the script um and for the movie but it doesn't necessarily tell us exactly what's going to happen it's kind of this vague you know this is a man searching for a connection who can't really find it um and you know that his his mother is a big part of his life but that she's not the most stable character because you know she's sick or or whatever else i think that whether these details actually end up in the movie or not it's it's really neither here nor there they're kind of i guess i would say vague it's not saying specifically he goes to this place at this time, meets this person, and that's what triggers everything. It's kind of just this, we're going to be seeing an emotional story play out over, you know, over the span of, I guess I would assume it's about two hours, that only really relates to the fact that this man is having an internal struggle, and we already know that he's going to come out of it in a bad place, but it's, the fun of the movie is going to be watching him get to that spot. So I think whatever triggers it, it's still just going to be this flow of events that is the driving force for the movie. Brad, what did you think? Yeah, I kind of lean to the, it's a kind of a story about nothing really. Um, simply because I think that these details that were told was kind of what we had already gathered from other things that have leaked in the press and, you know, little uh, overviews that have been shared by people. So I don't think it was giving us any new information, but I do, you know, I do agree with Kelly that it was kind of vague. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think this is stuff that we kind of all suspected was the case. Seth, what do you think? Reading over this and just sort of, you know, trying to take it at, at what it's presenting to me, it was interesting how it felt very much, I mean, it describes it as an in-depth synopsis, but it felt poetic a lot of the descriptive words in here. Um, and I really like that, you know, Kelly, you pointed out that it, it just sort of give us information, but not too much. And how, when you keep looking at it that way, I eventually come to the conclusion that Brad comes to, which is, yeah, this really isn't a story about a whole lot. Uh, the things that I kind of took was the idea of the language, how he trods the suited Gotham city streets, the graffiti master. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a really interesting descriptive tone taken here. I felt like this was almost like a, a bit of a short story piece or um, a treatment in that direction. But I do like that this described the idea of uh, the two masks, the one he paints for his job as a clown and the other he uses to sort of fit into or feel uh, in a failed attempt to fit in or be a part of the world around him. I felt that the rest sort of, again, goes into that ambiguity. It mentions briefly about the idea of a fragile mother and that, you know, he's trying to find his way in a Gotham that's that's fractured. But beyond that, I didn't feel that that was anything I hadn't already seen from the trailer or other descriptions leading up to it. So without it being any new information, yes, it's difficult to feel like this is something that's like, ooh, 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 big surprise, big surprise, ooh, 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 something, you know, something we weren't supposed to see. It's more of like, oh, uh, uh, did I already know that? Yeah, I think I already kind of knew that. Yeah, yeah, I think I did. And that was generally kind of the feeling I was left with. Really, I'm happy to go ahead and move away from this one just sort of with that, that sort of thought uh, and reflection, but... I'm going to do a three-second pause in case anyone wants to add anything else before we shift on to yet another Joker headline. Two, one. 
Also, uh, <laughs> the giggle says yes. The laughter says yes. We're moving along. A leak Joker. Now, okay, so this is going to be another one of those. Is is this really much of a story or not? What's our take on this leaked Joker script that is outdated? So is it even relevant? And does that mean that fans will be surprised as director? Kelly, what was your, your take on this story, especially immediately following the one we were just talking about? Honestly, I, I think I think it's good that it's a... I, I have kind of an issue with when scripts get leaked, um, especially early on in the production or while the movie's still in production, that people kind of take it and run with it and say, oh, this movie's going to be about X, Y, and Z, and this is what's happening. Because it it takes away from the creative team's ability to actually refine the story and put out the story they're trying to create. Um, you know, we're, we're all writers here, so obviously it, we all know that drafts change from one article to the next, from one story to the next, or from one version of what you're writing to the next. There's things you take out, there's things you decide you don't like. So I've always kind of had an issue with fans that take any sort of leaked script or leaked information about a story that's still in progress because if you put it out there and you say oh this is what's happening this is how the movie's going to be and then people get a negative opinion from that you're not actually giving the creative team or the director or the actors or anyone else involved the chance to finish the movie to make the the thing that they're trying to put out there um so i I say good if it's if it's completely different then i i think that's a good thing brad i you know there would have been a point in my life that I would have read the story and rushed to try to find the script just so I could read it. Now I kind of want to to be to be more surprised. And I I guess one of my curiosities about this story is what changes were made and why. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, is it something that Joaquin Phoenix brought to the role that they decided, oh, because he's doing it this way, we can change this and that. So I, I guess I would be curious to see what has changed and why. Seth, what do you think? Can't help but agree with you both. And I really enjoy the, you know, the directions that you've sort of shown with how you can look at the story and what you can take away from it. Kelly, starting with uh, what you were describing about how it can create a degree of expectation on the behalf of fans that then can lead to either disappointment or, you know, confliction when it comes to the actual finished product appearing on screen. I actually feel like that was something that was referenced in regards to uh, either The Last Jedi or maybe um, The Force Awakens, that there had been so much speculation, I believe it was Last Jedi, on the behalf of fans, that when what had been sort of a... I don't know if it was a fan fiction or a fan speculation or theory. That's what it was. These days, theory seems to be the biggest buzzword. It was a theory that a fan had created about the movie and how it would end up. And when it didn't happen, fans were upset. And they were like, hey, hey, you guys screwed up the movie. This is how it was supposed to go. (laughs) And everyone else is going, but but they put the finished movie on screen. That means what they wanted, they they put up there a fan came up with a theory but he wasn't actually making the movie or involved in any way with what was going on so I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by that you know first approach to it and then also brad i love that you pointed out that hey you know when you were younger this was something you were like ah let me see the the script i want to see it but now it's a little bit different in that when you 
do have the opportunity to compare two versions of it, it's more interesting just to see what could have been and also think about that sort of like direction and the decision to end up going with what's considered the final product. Not to just always be on a Star Wars theme, but I was also watching that 2004 documentary about Star Wars last night, and they were talking about some of the concepts that had been introduced in the mythology and that later were changed. Like Luke was supposed to be Luke Starkiller, not Skywalker, and yet eventually at some point they changed it. Or how Return of the Jedi, only a few weeks before it came out, was supposed to be Revenge of the Jedi. And all of these were adjustments that were made. And during the storytelling, sometimes if props didn't work or other elements that weren't captured correctly during the filming couldn't be, you know, worked into the movie the way they had originally been planned, then you make edits and you work around it and you create the best version of the movie that's possible given the best quality you got. That would be interesting for me to sort of compare what those two were before this ended up on screen. But I think beyond that, I, I really hope that if that's what fans are looking for, or if that's what their interest level is, then then this is something they should be enjoying the chance to just sort of do that compare and ooh, wouldn't that be neat or, you know, interesting that they thought this and then changed their minds. But I, I also, you know, sort of just go back to that original thought that Kelly brought up, which is let's make sure that that's what it's about, because if it ends up being about these unrealized expectations that never really should have been placed on the film before you went to see it. Uh, these things get in the way and we have a choice as to whether or not we let them become something that gets in the way or we just enjoy the finished product that the creative team decided was what they wanted to show us. When it comes to a situation like that, I'm always going to air with you guys as I think Kelly, you sort of also said really well, we're all writers here. We're very aware of the fact that what we start out with an idea or a draft can very quickly become something else. And just because it changes doesn't mean that it's bad or that we're wrong or that we failed our vision. But just that as we work through the process of trying to either understand it or shape it or do something with it, that changes had to be made. It's how we work through the process. It's why you never publish your first draft. And I just have this horrible moment of thinking what would it be like if people read the stuff i wrote on my first draft <clears throat> awkward painful um <laughs> and i wouldn't want to put that on any creative team it's certainly not one in such a you know financially crazy business like films but i love that this really feeds really nicely into we got to give some shout out i'm just going to do it josh to our editor for setting up this list of stories that I really like the way they flow into each other right now. Going right from the idea about the uh, leaked Joker script, we move into an announcement that the Batman script is reportedly complete. This is a great development, I think, for many people who feel that each sort of announcement about the film only continues to confirm the hope that everything is going along smoothly and that the timelines will sort of line up to what we're hoping and expecting they will play out to be but everyone has their own reaction to what this might mean kelly i'm going to start with yours what does it mean that the batman script is reportedly complete i i'm very happy that it is like you were saying we haven't seen a ton of concrete stuff you know a ton of concrete 
announcements coming out about this film. So, I mean, it is still reported, but I'm hoping that this means we're, you know, really moving to a direction where we're going to start getting some of that finalized information. I, although I could have sworn that in the past I've heard that the, the script was complete, although maybe that was uh, back when they were kind of extending, still writing the script, redoing the script. It, it might have been in that shuffle, but then there, there's so many headlines about this movie you know, what might or might not be happening. So I'm hoping that, you know, if they have a, a finished script, you know, that, that would be a really good direction. And luckily they do have Pattinson signed on. So that is confirmed at the very least. But yeah, if, if this is the finished final script, then good for them. I am very excited to see what they do with it. Bren? Yeah, I I like news like this because we've been talking about this movie probably since we started doing the podcast. And it's nice to have more and more concrete information. The fact that the script's done, that's one more step to having the movie in theaters. So that, you know, that makes me happy. I just like to see this. I'd like to see this come to come to fruition. It looks like it really is. And I'm probably in the minority, but um, I, I do think that Robert Pattinson is going to surprise all of us and be a pretty good Batman. Seth, what do you think? I love the announcement that the script as it's, being introduced or presented is done. I don't think this is the final script because I think that just like we were talking about productions change, drafts change, and also things are going to happen along the way where you'll see something on screen and you can go ahead and pick your favorite. And if you have one to add after I'm done, blah, 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 blah. Please go ahead because I, I, I think it's, it's always something to keep in mind. How often Something that's written down that sounds great that appears on screen and people go, oh, God, that was boring. Oh, oh God, that was boring or terrible. <laughs> and you suddenly just go, OK, it sounded great, but we need to change it because for whatever reason, we don't have that energy or intensity there. With that sort of recognition, I do like the idea when you create a foundational document because I've heard it said and I'm always going to forget the author who did it, but the guy who wrote L.A. Confidential once said, even in film, once there's a source material, the reference is always made back to the source material and about the tone and the original story that's created there. So having that sort of, I think they call it a boilerplate to work off of, that template, that you know conceptualization of what we want this story to tell beginning to end and how we think it's going to, to tell it best through this script, that... When you've got that, any changes you're making are going to be making or going to be made with that sort of tone in mind. So I feel like this won't be the final version of what we see on screen, but I do love the idea that we've uh, <laughs> we've uh, we've closed the door as that screen door in the background just sort of illustrated for us so nicely uh, with the audio. We've closed the door on the chapter of writing the script and now we've got a script that's written and it's probably going to have some changes here and there and maybe even a little bit of like on the fly ad living but that we've got this source document that we're ready to base the film on. so as the screen door pointed out so clearly we, we've closed the door on that chapter which means now we can move forward with this is the concept that we're pitching not only to the actors who are coming in but this is the document that they're reading scenes off of for when we're finishing our casting or working on all these other things where people are like, well, what's the script say? Well, here's what we're doing from the script. You know, and that sort of allows you to make a lot of decisions based on what you've already decided when you complete a script. 
And that was really my take. Did you guys want to add anything else before we shift on to yet another Batman news story? Um, nope. You okay. covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try. More often than not, I'm just summarizing what you guys are saying and trying to make myself sound like I've got something original to add to it. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm just a parrot. And no, I will not do my parrot impression right now. No. <laughs> <clears throat> Rumor plot points leak out for the Batman. Well, that kind of makes sense, right? The script's done. At some point, you want to... There, there's a certain degree of leaking that's maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. What was your take on this story, Kelly? We, we know the script's done. Are leaked plot points the next thing to follow, or does this have a different meaning? I think with specifically what was leaked, um, the fact that there's murders in, in Gotham and Batman has to kind of figure out who is the correct suspect by talking to all these different villains it doesn't give away too much that it would it would ruin any part of of the filming process i would hope or of our expectations of the movie and actually i think part of the reason i'm so okay with it is that i i like that plot point i like the idea that you know it's a young batman figuring out his way as a detective by meeting all of these different gotham villains and trying to figure out if they're the ones who are doing the terrible you know the whatever strange i'm not sure in in a city like Gotham, I'm not sure what classifies as a strange murder. I think murder in general is kind of a strange thing. Um, but I, I am actually, <laughs> I, I think, I would say that this has not in any way injured my uh, hopefulness about the movie. Yeah, it's it's vague enough that it's not, because it's not saying something like, oh, well, he finds out it's uh, the penguin and then... It, you know, it, it's not really giving us anything that will ruin it. Brad, what did you think? Yeah, I I agree. I kind of I kind of hope that they have it set up that uh, at least some of these villains don't play too big a part. So they can kind of like tease it for a sequel because, uh, you know, it looks like we're going to be getting a lot of villains in this movie. So I hope they just don't overdo it. And I think that having it set up like a detective story like that, where he has to kind of visit these villains they can set it up in kind of really cool ways uh, for possibly having those villains play a bigger role in in sequels. So that's kind of what I'm hoping with uh, with these leaked uh, tidbits. Seth, what do you think? I love the way that you guys make it so easy for me to just pile on, because at the end, I, I might sound pretty smart and I'm really not. I'm just taking what you guys are giving me and just happily going oh yeah well following up on your brilliant thing and then your brilliant thing i almost sound like i know what i'm talking about yay uh you know kelly really like the fact that you brought up that it, it gives us the premise i mean one strange murders all murders should be strange uh as i once heard uh by a great character actor uh all war is crime you know that there's a certain point where you almost want to say it's bad right like we know it's bad can't we just say it's bad anything more is just unnecessary adjectives but the concept that that it's a strange murder that's strange enough that he has to go around to this um category of villains this great list is really a great concept that we already sort of knew with all these villains going on this was a direction they might be taking it's nice that this plot leak sort of lets us know that that's what we were thinking is going to happen is going to be happening in some sort of way. I love that, you know, 
Brad, you pointed out something really cool, and as soon as you mentioned it, my brain just started doing that flip, flip, flip thing. The idea that with each one of these characters that he's going around to, each one of these villains, we have the chance to either highlight their domain. So when he goes to see the Penguin, it could be at his club, you know, with all of these sorts of pieces that we've already seen featured in DC Comics, having their little Easter egg moments within those types of scenes. Uh, the sort of tension that can be created with the maybe introduction of the relationship uh, with Catwoman. And also how with someone maybe like Firefly, you actually get now the chance to showcase an element of Gotham City because of how he'll be in the sky or how he'll have the chance to create a unique backdrop that's not based on his lair or something like that. So I, I really like the fact that as soon as you started talking about that, I could see these different ways that Batman will be interacting with these characters and how they'll get it, you know, be sort of an opportunity to show either parts of Gotham or things that help us more cement and ground this character as, as someone who, based on their environment, we can learn just as much about uh, as we do from their exchange with Batman. When it comes to these kinds of plot points, just personally, I think this is really smart way to sort of confirm what they're building the idea of the movie around. I feel like it could be an interesting twist where at some point we realize maybe one of the characters hasn't been entirely truthful and we'll get the chance for him, Batman, to come back around to one of them and sort of be like, so let me tell you where you screwed up. And we get a chance to see his detective skills come into play in that way. But also I feel that just this concept of murders that have enough unknown quality to them that Batman has to rely on the information he can get from this great list of villains should make for a really fun, great story. Also, I forgot to mention when we were talking about the last story, but Brad, you're not alone, my friend. I really think Robert Pattinson is going to change a lot of minds. Uh, to this day, I've been surprised by just how many actors. When you first showed me Ryan Reynolds way back when I remember he started to kind of beef up for the, I think it was Blade 3. And I remember thinking, like, he was a cute, sort of funny, comedic guy who now looks like he's trying to compensate by being the buff guy. If you would have told me then that he would be Deadpool, I never would have bought into it. But seeing the transformation he made from that to Deadpool... I can't see anyone else doing it. Robert Pattinson, from what I understand, has displayed some great qualities recently in films. In fact, I think it's the one of the ones we were just talking about. Was it Tenet? Um, that he'll be, you know, also portraying a very grittier character and and someone who's got, you know, much more to him than just the glamoring vampire skills. Uh, so I, I'm also one of those who's going to say, you know what? It's going to be really fun when he becomes Batman. I, I feel like he's going to do something with Batman that we're going to look back on and go, there you go. That was somebody who wore the mask, wore the cowl, and also created a sort of identity for who Batman is and can be. Um, so just wanted to go ahead and, you know, do a little echo, echo pile on there. And then for a story that's a bit more on the, the breaking news side, I'm going to pause because last time Josh did that really cool breaking news music. And uh, go to this story that we just got before we hopped on the air today, which is the announcement that Matt Reeves is eyeing a person of color actress. They use the term POC for Catwoman in the upcoming Batman. Um, Kelly, 
this is sort of new. We haven't really had a chance to do a lot of digestion. What's your initial sort of take on the announcement behind this headline and the story that followed it? So actually, it's it's interesting because I kind of have a very conflicted opinion on the announcement itself on the grounds that um, I mean, I'm I'm mixed. So when I, I think when you announce that we're looking for an actress of a specific color or they, they said, um, I think it was a Zoe Kravitz, like either black or biracial person, um, I, I feel like it kind of takes away from being able to just say we cast this actress because she is the best Catwoman. Because now whoever gets hired has to sort of overcome the fact that, and I mean, we, we know how people can be when they're kind of trolling on Twitter and whatnot, that the idea might become, you know, they, they were just looking for someone to diversify the film. And in, in that case, her whole role sort of circles around that she was hired to fit that bill, which in that case would then cheapen whatever talent she has or whatever she's actually bringing to the role of Catwoman. So, you know, I, I like the idea that they're considering someone of color to play the role but I do think that maybe this announcement shouldn't have been made on the, just on the grounds that it doesn't leave room to say that we hired this person because she is a good actress. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I agree. You kind of kind of took the thoughts right out of my head. Um, I, I don't like anything that gives trolls ammunition. And it's one of the most oppressing things in geek culture is trolls that have a problem with things like this and you're right they're going to see the story and they're going to see who's ever cast and they're not even going to see the talent so I, I do think that that will could be a possible hindrance to whoever gets this this role it's like they're going to have to prove themselves doubly and it shouldn't necessarily have to be that way uh seth what do you think i really expected that this would be the response that we would have when we started talking about this article. In fact, as soon as I read the headline, I thought to myself, I have a feeling that knowing who's going to be on this podcast today, there's going to be a lot of attention paid to the fact that this announcement was made in a very specific way and that it might have had a positive intention, but it's actually created more problems by making this announcement this way. Kelly, I completely agree with what you were saying about the idea of the moment you make this announcement, you're sort of creating this this mindset, this sort of focus just on that idea instead of making it about who's the best actor who can play this role. In fact, I was kind of surprised when I read the headline that they focused on the term actress instead of just actor, because I know that's something that's even had, uh, you know, an influence in how we frame, you know, who we're selecting to cast when it comes to a project and how we're representing them when we we make that sort of term that's being used, whether it's actor or actress, and then in front of it, putting this, you know, POC designation. I I'm always confused when for some reason this becomes ammunition for trolls, but I understand how it does. And Brad, I wanted to echo what you were saying about how there's a concern already being you know, raised with the fact that this begins to stockpile that ammunition for those who see this as an opportunity to lash out. We've seen what it's done to Ruby Rose, to uh, the casting of, you know, characters in Star Wars, um, other projects who have, because of this, shut down their social media accounts, which were, if I'm not 
you know, mistaken, designed specifically for the purpose of engaging more closely with their fans. But because of how these things are treated and taken, it actually, you know, becomes a weapon used against them. I would have enjoyed hearing about the announcement of this casting after the decision was made. And it actually brought to my attention that I don't remember there being a distinction made when they were making Titans that they were going to choose to make a person of color designation or distinction when they were casting for Corey or when they were casting for Garfield Logan. If I, you know, and those were, those were decisions that I felt were made really well because they focused on who best embodies this character. And there didn't seem to be, and I could be wrong. Maybe I'm missing an announcement that came out at some point. Um, Quit trying to close the door on me, yo. I'm not done. I'm still going here. I still got something to say. But I do have a problem when we frame it based on this is what we're going to do. And we're going to do it for these reasons. Because it does create that opportunity for this ammunition to sort of be, you know, used as, as a weapon and to be weaponized. I do think that it's important maybe to keep in mind, and this is just what I've been trying to maybe see if I could get your guys' reaction from, to keep in mind that maybe there was a specific intention made by making the announcement this way. Almost though, I mean, it almost feels like it was so, it it appears so blatantly unaware that it almost feels intentional. And that was probably my only follow-up question I wanted to ask you guys about, is because when I'm looking at it, how it's phrased, it's like, there's no way this doesn't start just like setting off, what is it, the term dog whistle sort of reactions from different groups, right? So how, if that's, how, one, are you not aware of that? And then two, if you are aware of it, why would you willingly go ahead and make this sort of announcement and gear it in such a way that you're blowing multiple dog whistles? Uh, did either of you have any you know, thoughts in regards to it from that approach, that it's such a almost blatant announcement that it seems to be like asking for the trouble um kelly i'll go to you first and then i'll go to brad yeah um i mean i honestly when i read it i kind of cringed because it's just it's very like you were saying it's on the nose and if it serves a purpose then that's probably i mean if it serves a purpose that's okay but it it just kind of read as a little bit tone deaf and kind of i don't know just just in poor taste and actually branching off of that with them saying, you know, they're specifically looking for a Zoe Kravitz-esque actress. I mean, that that kind of, in, unless the actress literally is Zoe Kravitz, you know, that I, I have an issue with that too, because then it's saying, you know, almost that and any actress who is of a similar background to her is, or, you know, kind of her type of actress, which would then, you know, what does that say? She's a, she's a specific person, she's an individual, so when she's acting, when she's, you know, performing, she does that in her own way. Um, so saying that we're looking for a Zoe Kravitz-esque actor, actress, and then saying, but by that, we just mean that she's either going to be mixed or black. That I, yeah, it just, it's kind of tone deaf. It's kind of on the nose. I'm not sure that I like it. Unless if it ends up being her, then I guess that's what they were trying to say. But then, you know, there would have been better ways to say that. Right? Yeah, I mean, it does seem a little silly that they would, or not maybe silly is too flippant of a word, but it doesn't necessarily make sense that they would make this kind of announcement, especially in terms of a Zoe Kravitz type 
yeah, just like you said, that puts so many kind of images on what people have in their head. Um, yeah, I just, it seems like a strange thing, unless for some reason, somehow, the script calls for it. But even if that was the case, you wouldn't necessarily make that announcement publicly, you know? So I, I don't exactly know what they were trying to do with with this. Seth, Thanks, Brad. Yeah, I, I still don't know what to think. You know, Kelly, when you were working through your answer, I almost came this close to saying, you know, like almost leading you with like tone deaf. And then you went and said it. And I was like, <laughs> OK, well, now now, I, you know, there's no point. But you you got to that same thing that I was like it, it, at some point. There's got to be an editor. Right. Like we thank God we have Josh. And for Dark Knight News, they've got Steve who looks at it and goes, hold on. We know we, we do. We know do do you know? Let's start there. Do you know why I'm already having an issue with this headline? <laughs> and just sort of call it out. And yet it seems so blatantly unaware, so tone deaf. Such a such a great description. But also I, I really appreciate Kelly that you brought it back to the idea that they even specifically state we want a Zoe Kravitz type. Okay, what does that look like? So wait, now you're going to say, well, OK, well, that means that whoever's cast will be black or biracial. OK, so does that mean you want someone with the, you know, exact combination or do they have to have the same physical appearance of someone with that racial combination? Like at what point do you stop or have you met the Zoe Kravitz type requirement? Do they have to have a similar voice? Do they have to have similar eye shape, nose shape? Like, do they have to have facial features? Dad that has to be a guitarist. That's it. Right. <laughs> I, you know, like, oh, my God, those are Lenny Kravitz, like, eyelashes. And you're like, hold on. How do you know that those are, wait. So, and and also then in the process, but now you're also saying, okay, um, well, if not, then we want someone who looks like that. All right. So, wait. Does that mean they have to be able to act or do we just want someone who can be that of physical appearance that's close enough to that then meets the requirement? Why why can't it be something a little bit more about the quality of the actor and the quality of, you know, the, the maybe the personality complexion that you're looking for? A character who's demonstrated that they can play a type of character that's going to bring this sort of tone to the Catwoman character. Then I, I'm able to sort of like uh pick up what you're putting down but I, I can't do that with this i can't i can't actually find a way to get close to that idea without saying you do realize that you're essentially as the the phrase goes you're typecasting like i almost feel like you saw zendaya in spider-man and said i want something like that but not like that wait i want somebody <laughs> who zoe kravitz let's go with zoe kravitz i want a zoe kravitz like type person <laughs> Which everyone else goes, no, you just saw something that you liked, and now you want to have that same kind of feeling. You just want to do it in your movie. Well, I don't get how that works, and I don't get why that works. I get that you're looking for what it sounds like, great chemistry, and someone who can really bring that chemistry alive on screen. That's a description I can get on board with. But when you're trying to tie it to a certain, you know, like, look for somebody, I think you've already lost me. Because at that point... Now you're just sort of doing things that make me feel like, okay, you want this to be about how this looks more than about how it feels. Thinking that somehow you got the feeling that you got just off the look. And you didn't. You got it from the combination. It's, 
you know, someone with talent who knows how to bring their charm alive on screen. It's it's more than just whether or not they meet certain cosmetic specifications. And I really feel like that's, you know, if I'm going to come down to it and I feel like I've been ranting, so I'm just going to stop for a second. But my last thought is I really feel like this ends up being exactly a cosmetic decision. And that's a huge disservice to any sort of art project, whether it's a film or anything else. Um, and they could have said Halle Berry. I mean, Halle Berry played Catwoman and she was mixed. So if they were going to go with the look, they could have just said they want a Halle Berry-esque actress. I mean, maybe Zoe Kravitz, and, yeah. you know, she's, she's not attached to the project yet. Now, maybe there's some negative connotations with referencing Halle Berry, given the way that she film was <laughs> Right, so I, I get there's like a desire to like say you want a Halle Berry without. Sorry, I'm just talking all over Kelly there. Maybe that's it though. Maybe that is like maybe they just wanted to say, well, we we're going for the Halle Berry look, but not Halle Berry. But then that also brings up the problem again of saying, all right, well, let's just let's just pick another mixed actress and throw her name in here. Like it just it's I don't think it was well thought out. <laughs> I, I think that's probably going to be the end thought. You know, there was some part of me while we were going through that was like, ah, let's do the follow up question. Let's just ask, is it is it some sort of like statement? No, it's it reads too stupid to be. And I'm really sorry <laughs> to the person who wrote this, like Nathaniel uh, Braille. I apologize. I'm not calling you. You didn't write the headline. Maybe you had to. I don't know. I'm just saying that it feels like this feels really just sort of ugly and heavy handed. And if it was going to be a statement, you'd think there would be just a, a bit more of craft art or awareness. And that's probably the last thing too, is this is, this feels so cosmetic and unaware that that's probably my biggest problem in the end. Why, why did you have to just go and be so careless? <laughs> but guys, thanks for the answering that follow up question. It just sort of was something pulling at the brain while I was listening to your answers. And I just wanted to, to see if that was something that could just maybe help me understand this article a little bit, because even as we're about to shift gears into the, the next uh, headline, I'm, I'm still just, I'm not completely okay with it and I'm walking away, but I'm not walking away a happy guy. I'm walking away. Like I'm not through with you yet. I still <laughs> got to say, yeah, little, little bit, little bit frustrating. Moving on to another headline that we've got, staying within the Batman universe, but circling back around to the Joker because it's another one of those breaking news stories that we found a way to just sort of squeeze in. But it's one you're going to be happy that we did. It's definitely going to be one that you're going to be happy that we did simply because it, again, adds to that frenzy. The announcement that at the Venice Film Festival, the 76th, edition of the Venice Film Festival. Prizes were going out, and the top prize went to the villain origin story starring Joaquin Phoenix, which won the Golden Lion, and Roman Polanski, in this headline, won the Silver Lion. Gold Lion, Silver Lion, and my lion is the storyline. Kelly, what's your take? <laughs> I, I mean, for starters, this, this goes back to what we were saying about you know, th this is an artistic film that obviously is getting a lot of respect from the film community in a way that we, I don't think, have ever seen with another comic book character-centered film. And also, I and I guess I'm just going to get controversial all over the place, but I'm very glad that it beat Roman Polanski. I have my own personal issues with Roman Polanski just as a human being. I'm not personal, but, you know, I, I don't like him. 
So I'm I'm very glad that it's getting that kind of recognition that it won, which if that is the the best award at the Venice Film Festival, that's saying a lot about how good this movie is. So I'm even more excited. Brad? Yeah, I think this definitely, you know, to what we were talking about earlier, and like Kelly, like you had said, it's like a serious movie. And I think this even more so cements that reputation and also kind of lean towards the fact that this might be up for some Academy Awards, some Golden Globes, uh, you know, in award season coming up here towards the end of the year. So, yeah, I mean, everything so far just makes me so much more excited to see this movie. Um, and I think I mentioned this last week or the week before that I'm a little nervous because things like this, they heighten my expectations so much that I don't want to be disappointed. But the more awards and more film festivals, standing ovations, I, that doesn't seem to be a worry. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it, that it did. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I love a great story like this because I feel like it's an opportunity to start celebrating. When we get the chance to experience Joker on the domestic side here, when it hits the uh, box offices here on October 4th, we're all going to get a chance to see what everyone else has been talking about. But whenever there's that early recognition, I, I do agree that there's that part of me that's like, oh, come on, man, don't get my hopes up with stuff like this. But then there's another part of me that's going, okay, you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't have a good reason. You know, there's there's some things that you sort of know when you have heard enough about them that it's like, well, it's almost like when it comes to certain things where it's like, oh, there's a spoiler. Hey, you know what? It's going to be such a great experience that the spoiler's probably not going to screw me up that bad. Um, And with this, it just feels in that same sort of vein that I'm just getting more excited for what it means. Kelly, I'm going to go ahead and just pile on with what you were saying about, yes, congratulations to the fact that this was a movie that on its own merits was able to beat Roman Polanski. There's everything about the story about him leaving the country that's icky. And it's just, that's the word that comes to mind for me, icky. So the fact that that silver line and Joker got gold is good by me. (laughs) And I don't think I'm alone in that. And by the laughter, I know that I'm not. And if you out there have a a beef with me about Roman Polanski, well, you know what? It's okay. And I'm not alone. So go ahead. Come at me. Come come get some. Both of us then. Yeah. You know, come, come at me. And and Kelly, because clearly we're standing side by side going, yeah, <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Uh, I, I do love that the, the recognition from both Joaquin Phoenix just being thankful to DC for uh, stepping out of the comfort zone and taking a bold swing. And then Phillips were saying, hey, thank you for trusting me with your insane talent. Like, that really seemed like a, a celebration recognition. But I I do feel like there's this part of me now that that is going to just continue to be excited about this film. I I saw some things long after they were popular, others right around the time that they were popular. And when it was a good project, whether it was Silence of the Lambs or Pulp Fiction or some other sort of seminal work, you just went, yeah, you're you're not ruining anything for me when you're just telling me about all of the good things others are saying about it. You're just letting me know that. I can feel better about going into it with high expectations. And that's the one thing I try and use as my balance to don't disappoint me. Don't set me up for this and then make me really upset afterwards. So I'm, I'm 
feeling fairly positive, even though more and more information like this can sometimes make me wait for the other shoe to drop. With this kind of announcement, I feel like I can just sort of take a more comfortable breath and go, okay, 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 it's still going to be good. Everybody's still loving it. And as long as that's the response leading up to it, I'm, I'm going to be pretty excited going in. Um, so thank you both for your perspective. They, they sort of uh, inform and reaffirm my thoughts. And we're going to go ahead and move right into our next story. Shifting directions away from all of that Joker news, we have the chance to talk about something a little different. But how different can it really be when, I mean, Joker was in the last Suicide Squad movie? So maybe it's not that far removed. But this announcement does stand on its own for its own reasons. And again... Steve, on this one, my friend, I'm going to require you to respond in all ways using social media after you've listened to this episode. And maybe if you're really good, we'll ask your opinion next time you're on. Peter Capaldi, rumored for the Suicide Squad. Now, I can go into why this would be interesting for our good friend, Mr. Steve, but I'm going to let others like Kelly and Brad share their thoughts. And then because they make me sound so smart, I'm just going to go ahead and summarize all that and, you know, have a little bit of fun. Kelly, what was your take on this announcement? I, I really like Peter Capaldi. I think he was a good doctor who um, I also weird, but I vaguely remember him as a character on the, the UK version of skins that I think died. Um, and he was great in that too. So I, I really hope he's fantastic in Suicide Squad. Um, I think I said this last week too, but I get nervous the more characters they add, um, just out of a vague fear of it turning into um, sort of just one-off, not really diving into the characters. Um, but if if he's in it, which it seems like he's going to be, that that I. He's a good actor, so as long as they give him a, a good, fleshed-out role, I think he'll really run with it. Uh, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as much as this, this cast is like a nerd dream, I mean, this cast is great. But, you know, like I said with the Batman villains, the more that you try to add on, the more it gets taken away from other characters and it kind of gets diluted. So I love the cast, but I just, I just hope that doesn't happen. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I worry when there's a giant ensemble cast because I've seen it work really well and then I've seen it all just fall apart. I want this to be really good. My hope is that they're going to take advantage of the announcement we were talking about last week, uh, Taika Watiti joining, and how I feel that he adds that level of ad-lib sort of improv quality and that by adding him as a talent, he can be that sounding wall for James Gunn to collaborate with, especially after they've already, uh, you know, established such a great relationship. And also because he's working with an actor who's a director that they can take advantage of this in the best possible ways and give us one of those things that that ensemble movies can do really, really well. There's a silly one that's black and white called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And it has to have almost every famous actor comedian from that time period and yet somehow it does it just the right way so where you feel like it's not so heavy-handed it's not so forced and they all get a chance to shine if this does that 
then we could really see a great sort of resurgence behind what was at times a, a difficult collaboration with the last Suicide Squad film. I'm also just going to laugh at the fact that neither of you mentioned that there was this little squib, the one line sentence possibility that Pete Davidson might be signing on for a cameo, which I felt was just this weird sort of drop in for this story and made me go, okay, you realize that now you've just totally shifted me away from the whole Peter Capaldi thing and, you know, what it means to have, you know, a Doctor Who actor sort of bring whatever possibilities can be tied to that or be completely separated from it to this story as soon as you make that announcement that you know oh by the way we're gonna throw in a saturday night live character just you know because we didn't think there was enough going on in the movie i i don't know what to say about that last part uh kelly or brad i'll let you either chime in or we can shift away i i yeah i mean I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to make of that. I I've, haven't seen a ton of Pete Davidson. And honestly, I hate to say this because I, I just, the, the celebrity news thing bothers me as a whole. But I feel like all I really know about him is that he was engaged and it didn't go well. Um, so, I, you know, good, I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, my take on it, I guess why I didn't, didn't bring it up is just the fact that it's a cameo. And that could just mean like a tiny little, you know, tiny little thing that's very insignificant and just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's Pete Davidson. <laughs> it doesn't seem, you know, I mean, there's so much else going on in this movie and even in the production of this movie that that seems like very kind of insignificant at this point. Yeah. And that's why it was weird for me to just as I'm reading along go, what? Why is this even in this story? What what does this have to do with this story? Does it have anything? Is there some sort of connection between Peter Capaldi and Pete Davidson that no one's told me about? And it, I was hoping one of you guys could maybe draw that and be like, well, for those of you who don't know, you know, and then maybe we could have one of those great moments. Oh, Steve, if you're out there right now, your ears are burning and you're like, I know the connection. I'm sorry, man. Social media is the only way you get to comment on this story this time. You can only miss so many of these things, um, but we still love you. We we really, really do. It's just sometimes it's tough love, <laughs> firm love. Um, well, we could probably pontificate and opinionate our way through all the speculation that can go with these giant ensemble casting things we've got going on. However, we have to be responsible every once in a while, pay some bills. We're going to take a quick ad break, and after we're done, we're going to come back with some announcements that – I think you're going to want to join us for about TV streaming and, of course, the newest, the greatest, the latest in all things comic book when it comes to DC. Come back to us after this quick break. Promise it's going to be worth it. Thanks for your patience. We'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. 
Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. Well, we thank you for your patience, and hopefully that ad break was as short as it seems for us, because we're always biting at the bit to come back to you with the next list of topics. And when it moves into TV and streaming, is there any more exciting topic than new Batwoman news and the new Batwoman promo? Well, luckily, I've got both Kelly and Brad here to let us know whether or not it's possible to get more excited, or if there's still more excitement to be gotten kelly what was your take on this announcement i don't know that there is more excitement but actually i thought that after the last promo so now i'm even more excited so i guess there is more excitement but i i absolutely love what they did as far as building up to the alice character and you know we see kate going through the doors that are getting smaller all the weird and and also i would love to know who's hanging there because we see that that boot kick and it's i it's perfect it makes me want to watch the show even more which i already really wanted to see the show so i yeah it's it is a great promo it's very stylized to look like alice in wonderland and again i think i've said this before that alice in wonderland is a great draw for for people who may not even be a fan of batwoman that's a really good way to bring them in so, yeah, I, I think this promo is perfect. Brad? Yeah, I was wondering what was up with the leg kick, too. I wonder who that is. And I, the, the marketing team for the show has been really good with what they put out and how they put it together. We got a view of what she is. We got a view of what Alice is like. And now we can, even in a small way, see them interact. And, the yeah, like you were saying, the Alice in Wonderland theme always can get people interested. So... If anything, that's going to help the show get more viewers. So, yeah, I really, I really dig it and can't wait for the show. Seth, what do you think? Really enjoy what you both had to say about the idea of this promo. One, Kelly, yes, Alice in Wonderland is a great way to just draw in fans who might not be in the comic books. But like the idea of using Alice in Wonderland as a motif to tell this story of the relationship between these two characters. Um, and... Thank you for answering my question, if it's possible for there to be any more excitement. And we'll have to see if others feel the same way. But I do want to hear from that one person who's like, I can get more excited. Want to see? Want to see? Want to see? And that could also be a bit interesting. I, I do like the idea that we get a chance to see some of those great details, Kelly, that you pointed out. Like the idea of the, the doors getting smaller. And I love that you both pointed out something that I thought was great, which was the idea of the boot kick. Whose boot is that? Really? Like, come on. Who is it? And why does not knowing it make it even creepier? I thought this was a great story. Um, I really liked the promo. And I like that it makes Gotham seem like 
a weird new place, a strange place to come back to, you know, and like a mirror version, something you think you recognize, but you really, really don't. And uh, when it comes to this story, I thought overall it was a really, really looking forward to seeing a little bit more about it when they uh, continue to do what I think Brad has really smartly said, which is a great job by the marketing team. But that's not the only TV news we've got for you. We've got quite the laundry list. Our next one is the announcement that Jonah Hex is returning to the Arrowverse for the upcoming crossover. I really like Jonah Hex when we got a chance to see him last time around. What did you think about the announcement that he'll be appearing on the upcoming Crisis on Infinite Earths? Kelly, starting with you. I, I like Jonah Hex as a character. And I, I do like that it seems like they're bringing back a lot of characters that kind of had a, a one-off or a quick appearance in previous episodes. And, you know, they're coming back for this finale. So, yeah, I, I hope. That it, it, I hope he has a good role. I hope that it's not just kind of like, oh, hey, here's Jonah Hex again for 45 seconds or something like that. But yeah, it's I, I'm glad he's back in it. Brad? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I like that they're bringing these characters that they've maybe touched on a little bit in episodes here and there, bringing them back in for hopefully, also like you were saying, like hopefully for a bigger role. Hopefully it's not just a throwaway thing. Um, I always enjoyed the character of Jonah Hex. I like kind of like that the character has this kind of persistence that seems to kind of pop up in, in odd ways, whether it's a new comic series or the film, even though, you know, it wasn't that great and still appearing on on these Arrowverse shows. It, it's, the character kind of has this kind of tenacity and still manages to get people even a little bit excited, which I kind of like. Seth, what do you think? Yeah, I like Jonah Hex in that sort of bad penny way. He just keeps showing up, and when he does, he's got his own motivations. He doesn't really care about what your problems are. And then like any great hero, he sort of goes, all right, fine, I'll get involved. <sighs> always trying to do <laughs> one simple thing, like get a girl or get a drink. And instead, there's always got to be some hero bugging me for help. And I think Jonah Hex, whether he was in the past, whether you know he was later, the, the future... Warrior, whether he's appeared in so many different titles from watching uh, what was the most recent one, The Super Sons, or the incarnation of Jenny Hex with uh, Young Justice. I feel like there's something about that tenacity that Jonah Hex and now Jenny Hex sort of bring to a story where they get what you're saying and they 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 kind of feel like sure it's probably really important and eventually they'll get on board but my god if you really didn't just mess up their whole day and that sort of <laughs> you know recognition of like yeah yeah i know you're telling me about the grand scale of things but honestly i'm just trying to get a drink or something to eat or get through my day-to-day -day struggles almost gives you that great sort of everyman tone and i love when the everyman character comes in and goes why am i supposed to care about this I'm not a superhero. And then they end up going and doing things that are so much fun and heroic. And Jonah is one of those reluctant sort of anti-heroes, but you want him on your side. And I think he's going to be a great addition, if for no other reason than great comedic timing. And hopefully, as you both pointed out, maybe a little bit more than just a 40-second, hi, look, there's Jonah. Bye, Jonah. And that's the end of it. However, that's not the end of streaming headlines we have for you. Much like the announcement that there will be Jonah Hex joining the upcoming crossover, things are on the horizon for all sorts of different characters and storylines coming up this fall. The uh, announcement about The Flash and its season six points to the idea that things will quickly get, quote, 
upside down and tragic, unquote, for the main characters. Kelly, what was your uh, take on this story and the concept of the upside down and tragic? I think it's, I mean, definitely turning things upside down and getting, you know, bringing characters that an audience is familiar with into a realm that the characters aren't used to where someone dies off, something like that happens, is always a really good direction to take a show once it's been on the air for a while. The, the best way to shake things up is to kill off somebody that fans are really interested in, which we see in comics all the time. But I do think announcing it this way might take something away from the actual shock of the moment. I mean, obviously the show's been building to this fact that Barry has to disappear, he has to I mean, he has to die in in the upcoming episodes. But I, I think it'd be better if they left it to a little bit of mystery, because I think once you tell someone that something sad is coming, if it's not as sad as they expect it to be, if it doesn't really resonate, it, it might not have the impact that it's supposed to have. So if they're announcing that it's going to be tragic and upside down and terrible, then they have to really bring the tragic and upside down and terrible. Fred, what did you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, you're right. And I've said how I, I kind of like the Flash stories lighter, but it seems like this this next season is going to be uh, kind of dark for the Flash. And within that darkness, sometimes you can get some really good character development, uh, which you can really explore. You have the time to explore in a TV series that you don't have in a film. So uh, hopefully this will give them a chance to really to really delve deep into these characters. Seth, what do you think? I'm going to echo both of you. One. Kelly, I, I agree with the fact that when you make such an announcement, you're really setting the expectations for the fans. And if you're telling us it's going to be upside down and tragic, well, you really better make it upside down and tragic. You better not pull any punches. You really better get us in the gut once or twice and afterwards almost make us feel like, hey, thanks for the heads up, because that would have sucked without any sort of preparation, which is something I'm coming going to come back to because, Brad, you pointed out something that I've always associated with The Flash, which is that it's a lighter story. Often with The Flash, he was the balance to the sort of grim and gritty of the Arrow. He was the fun and light. And when they did the the crossover and they switched identities and they were both kind of like, ugh, you know, there's Barry, like, it's so gritty, you know? And then meanwhile, you've got Oliver, like, it's so cheerful. My <laughs> God. You know, and this concept of how they... they they couldn't relate to that. And it was something that they would have to either embrace or that that we would have to rely on sort of their own core values to, to get through the problem. But because of that expectation, I almost feel like they're trying to let regular fans know, Hey, you're used to certain things when it comes to the flash. And this year it's going to start off darker and it's not going to get better for a while. And that's really not something that you associate with the flash TV show. So there's this part of me that wonders how much of it is an attempt to try and make sure that fans don't just turn away after the first episode or two and be like, "Ugh, this isn't the flash. I know what happened. I'm out. And instead they're saying, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's going to be darkest before dawn kind of a thing. We, we really, been lucky enough to tell all these positive stories and this season we have to tell a darker story before it's going to be positive and also before we can tell the positive side we have to push into that really dark possibility which kelly you brought up that barry has to go away that if you read crisis on infinite earths you know he makes a sacrifice if the adaptation we're going to see follows that in any way then this is an expectation that we kind of need to be prepared for but 
there's also been that sort of little puzzle twist that's been tossed in with the possibility of Oliver making a sacrifice and maybe Felicity making a sacrifice. And it almost takes me back. No, no, it does take me back to way back when there was a uh, a Baywatch. And it was like one of those, yep, somebody's got to die sort of thing. And it was one of those things where it was like, one of these characters will die in the upcoming episode. I remember seeing the print ad. <laughs> one of these characters will die. Who will it be? You're like, ah! <laughs> and you know, they've done it in comics and other things. And I almost kind of feel like that's what they're doing with this. Like, the crossover is coming. In Crisis on Infinite Earths. One of these characters will die. Who will it be? And you were like, ah, not the Flash, not Oliver, not Felicity. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you know, but but that because that's so dark compared to what we're used to, like they've almost kind of let us know, like, guys, don't turn us off because it gets dark. We're telling you it's going to get dark. Just stick with us. It'll be interesting to see how much of this was necessary as we go into this season. And I'm going to laugh if midseason I'm like, guys, I'm so glad they gave us a heads up because this season's dark. And, you know, if we're all kind of like, whoa, I didn't see this coming. And mm. they, they were right. We really did get into the dark and sad and tragic. And, you know, without any sort of preparation, it would have really been difficult to process a season. Time's going to have to be the ultimate, you know, decider when it comes to this, whether or not they were right to do this. But it, it does make me think that they're setting the expectation for a reason. And Kelly, you're right. They have to deliver. Brad, you're completely right. It's a change in the tone of the show. The only thing left for me is, is it a necessary announcement because of such a drastic change to the tone of the show? Or is this sort of over-sensitivity to a concern that, oh, we darkened it a little bit, but we're afraid we're going to lose our fans? And I think only once we've gotten into the season will we really have that sense of, well, they were right to be worried, or sometimes executives overreact, which, I mean, come on, sometimes they do. Just sometimes they're tone deaf, as we saw from an earlier story, and sometimes they just way too sensitive. I'm curious to see whether or not they, they proved on the right side of this one. Waiting and seeing seems to be something that we're getting pretty good at. Thankfully, the calendar moves forward. So, And I think that announcement that was just made holds true when it comes to HBO's Watchmen finally announcing that it has a premiere date, one that they've set for October 20th. Kelly, go ahead and admit to me now. Did you circle this date on your calendar or make a Google schedule calendar sort of thing? Or did you just go, huh, I should keep that date in mind? <laughs> I, so if I had a calendar that I actually looked at, I would have written it down. But it is definitely logged in my head as something that on the 20th I'm going to watch this. Um, I am so hopeful that we will get a good on-screen depiction of Watchmen. I think that there's there was way too much material for, uh, you know, just one movie to do it justice. So I'm 100% hoping that this is going to be a really good series. I mean, HBO apparently isn't a great indicator of whether or not... It, I used to take HBO as, if it's on HBO, it's a good show. They, you know, they leave Starbucks cups in their, their shots sometimes, so that's not great. But I am kind of hoping that, you know, that they do Watchmen well and that it's better than what we've seen in the past. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I I love the source 
source material absolutely so much that, you know, to be honest, even if I don't like the first couple episodes, I'm going to stick with it. So I was really excited, though, that we have a uh, release date for it because I was curious. I was hoping it would be before the end of the year. And it's, yeah, the sooner the better. I'm, I'm so excited. And this is another show that's getting a pretty good buzz so far. So that, uh, that, leaves, me, that leaves me pretty hopeful. Seth, what did you think? Well, while I was listening to both you and Kelly, I, I was really drawn to this <clears throat> sentence in this article that says, it seems as though this Watchmen series has been in development forever. <laughs> and that was something that, that made me smile because from the moment it was announced, there's been the same degree of excitement and anticipation. And I think Watchmen is one of those things that, well, based on the previous movie version, makes us so nervous when it comes to things like the upcoming Joker film. We know how good they can be. We know how bad they can go. <laughs> we know what it's like when we're really hopeful and then we're let down. And Kelly, I think you tied that really well to what used to be a really confident expectation when it came to HBO. HBO is doing it. Ah, it's going to be great. It's going to be gritty. There's going to be a lot of swearing. It's going to be boom, boom, boom. And then every once in a while, like anybody else, they falter. And that creates that moment of uncertainty. And when it comes to something you love, the source material for Watchmen being so seminal in all of its qualities, it, it, you want it done right. You're hopeful that everything that you're hearing is leading to uh, a positive expectation, a, a positive goal. And yet you can't help but just be a little bit nervous when it comes to this story. I, what I've seen so far has been really great trailer material. I really thought, hey, they're they're going somewhere that feels very original, feels like it keeps the source material in mind and yet is telling a new story. And yet at the same time, I can't help but hesitate, worry, and wonder about what I've already seen and just how good I know it should be and just how bad I know it can be. I like the idea that it's taking a modern story kind of idea with this and saying, hey, look, look what we've you know been able to learn from what happened in Watchmen and how we're able to show what that did to the community and to the world. And then now how we're living with that sort of change. But also adding this element of the Rorschach kind of gang and then the police deciding that they're going to go ahead and mask themselves. And then there being this conflict that sort of reignites the issues that earlier material brought up. I think the, the biggest challenge is when I think so much about Watchmen, I always come back to the idea that, you know, Moore said his whole purpose behind it was to write something that destroys comics. You know, he wanted to sort of just like mess with the industry in such a way that it questioned itself and yet trying to retell that story or tell versions of that story almost feels like you're you're sort of saying like okay so this is a story about a bomb that goes off and now we're going to tell the story about how we tried to piece together the pieces of the bomb and then tell new stories and i sort of go well okay but the explosions happen it's over <laughs> now we have the after effects and that's great but you know there's a limit to how much story you can tell after this huge thing has occurred um so i'm i'm really intrigued by how they can pick it up although i think maybe i'm not the you know only one with kind of the final word about this story did you guys want to add anything else about this uh i i would just add that one of the things about 
the Watchmen comic, they always came out. One of the things that they always say is that this is where comics grew up. That was one of the moments. And with all of this, the comic book movies and comic book TV shows that we have out now, if the show is done well, maybe it could be in a certain way. This is where comics, movies and TVs grew up between this and the Joker. It could be our Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen for the visual medium of superheroes in the 21st century. So no pressure or anything, HBO, but <laughs> I, hope you, I hope you got it together. <laughs> if you were wondering, that was Brad. Um, he just raised the stakes in this poker game, and he's, he's calling you guys out. Show your cards. Brad, I think you're right on. It is the moment when comics grew up. It was the moment that they had to start asking the hard questions about what really happens when it's not just the public face, when there's a behind the scenes. And when that behind the scenes is sometimes covered up or glossed over in order to make sure that the public face doesn't get marred in some way. And this is something that I thought Identity Crisis did its best to sort of echo when it, it created its own story about having a public and a private face. And I think, you know, if this does if this and Joker both do those things, then we do have that opportunity for comics to sort of, as a visual medium, ask a lot of hard questions, raise a lot of interesting challenges, and then responsibly, in an adult way, answer them. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not saying you're the, the reason that the pressure has been heightened, but you've certainly made us aware of just how high the stakes really are. Now, I'm not going to put any more pressure on you to add to that. You've clearly raised the stakes enough, or at least let us know how high they are. <laughs> what I am going to do is let that sink in for everybody while we take a quick ad break, pay a few more bills, and then come back to that thing we were just talking about, the source material that inspires everything else we've been talking about, comic books. Did you have a final thought before we cut away, Brad? Uh, no, I, I think that I think that you uh, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> too you know i think that i don't know i like i said i love the watchmen so much that um no matter what i'm gonna watch it so let's just hope it's good and let's just hope that the producers the whole team behind it realize how important it is to comics in general i agree with that yeah, I hope they do, and I hope that in the end we're the, the ones who benefit, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, we're going to take that quick ad break, folks. Pay those bills, come back to you with some upcoming stories about comic books, and then wrap this show up. Thanks for hanging out with us. Enjoy the ads. We'll be right back. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. Quicker than a flash, we're back from that very short ad break. Was it which short? I think it was. If you disagree with me, let me know. But 
you made it through, which means we're time for that final section of today's podcast. It's all about comics, folks. And we're starting things off with the announcement that, sadly, Booster Gold, the big fall, is being back pushed back two months. This isn't the first story about a title being pushed back, and I wish that it was, because after a while, it becomes hard to say something new when an announcement like this is made. Kelly, no pressure. You can either say something new or go with something less. <laughs> I feel very concerned, especially on the grounds that this Booster Gold book is a reprint, I believe, of, of something that came out a while ago. Um, and they're just putting out, uh, there's there's some uh, previously unreleased material, but it's basically a reprinting, which I, I, I'm concerned on the grounds that, yeah, it looks like a lot of DC books are getting pushed back. And if it's even happening to something that is not particularly new material, that might be a bad indication. Um, I, I, I can't say in either direction whether it is or isn't, but I definitely have my my concerns there brad what do you think yeah i i'm gonna just say what i said before about delays um if they have to improve the art and it makes for a better finished product then it's worth the wait but if it's other things going on behind the scenes that's a little concerning and it just keeps happening and that that in itself is concerning as well with so many different books it's not just shazam it's now it's booster gold. So, man, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I just hope there's nothing going on that we don't know about, you know, that they're just not telling people. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I, I agree with you both. Um, when it comes to this kind of announcement, there's a lot of questions that come up. Kelly, you know, you pointed out the, the one thing that I think is probably the biggest for me, which is the fact that this is previously released material. This is material from the first 12 issues from the the Dan Jurgens uh and uh who is it yeah Mike DiCarlo Booster Gold series right this is issues 1 and 12 from way back then and Brad clearly you're you know pointing to something important which is the idea that this is systemic this is something that's happening throughout DC last week we were talking about Shazam and High Level and so many other titles that are getting pushed back delayed Doomsday Clock Something's happening, and it feels like it's having a ripple effect through everything. Now, the only thing that uh, I can sort of maybe hang my hat on regarding this story and, and maybe give it a different sort of reasoning is the idea that they mentioned that not only was it the first time these are being collected, but they were including design material in unpublished story pages. And I think maybe if there was an issue regarding how some of that older material might translate to a new publication when you're trying to either reprint or bind something together and you want to make it fit a certain way and there can be maybe a tech issue that comes up with that. I, I, wanna, I almost want to make this whole story about that. I want to say, oh, that's the problem. It's just some design stuff, and they're trying to collect it, and it didn't fit the right way, and they're changing the layout or the presentation, and hope that that's really all it is. But there's been a lot of mystery and a lot of uncertainty, and with all that ambiguity, it's really hard for me to say, yeah, let's not worry about those other titles. This is a different situation, because unfortunately, so much about it, and more importantly to me, 
the lack of information coming out makes it feel like it's part of this bigger problem. And I'm going to say this because maybe I, I feel like maybe I didn't say it before. And, you know, DC, if you ever listen to one of these episodes, this is my one thought about it. The less you tell, the worse you make things for fans. The more information you provide to let people know what's going on gives them the sense of confidence, not only in you, but in the characters they believe in and the titles they buy. And when you don't provide information, the speculation you create is generally a lot worse than the real thing. And you could avoid all those problems by just letting us know what's going on. That's my soapbox. I'm climbing off of it. I'm done. Um, and I want there to be more to this story about the idea of sometimes tech issues happen when taking old material and presenting it in a new format. But I can't do that without hearing everything Brad was just saying about, you know, this is a problem that we've been aware of that we keep seeing raise its ugly head. And I hate to call things ugly, but when it comes to delays, I'm going to go ahead and, and say it's, it's an ugly thing. And I'm getting tired of talking about these stories and I'm getting tired of hosting an episode where I'm like, Hey guys, talk to me more about these stories because God knows, you know, the last thing you want to do is have me say, Hey, let's talk more about canceled stuff because you know, it's so much fun. Um, and that is maybe the best way to set up something else that's become uh, a developing, recurring, hopefully not uh, commonplace problem. The announcement that a second Superman issue has been pulled from the Year of the Villain event. I don't even know if there's like an official story I'm supposed to be sticking with on this or if I'm just supposed to be taking my own opinions from this one. Kelly, what was your response to this announcement and what you're able to gain from what they are and what they aren't telling us? I am still very confused because I know there was the story a while back that they were changing the covers for um, one of the Superman books as well as Supergirl. And it looks like from this article that they were taking off the, the year of the villain brand, which is fine. It's that doesn't necessarily take anything away from the story, but then I'm wondering, well, if you can take random issues from Superman, Supergirl, any of them and say, Oh, you know what? Actually, this isn't going to be part of the big crossover event that we're building to. I'm just confused on how that works in terms of, if it was going to be part of this event and then they're taking it out, does that just mean that this specific story doesn't necessarily have any material in it that ties into it? Or I, I don't know what to make of it, honestly. It's very much a kind of brief, okay, this is what's happening. Although I did notice that in the, the one cover, it's clearly, you know, Superman versus Lois Lane. She's holding up this big rock of kryptonite at him. And then in the cover that I believe they're going with, it's, just Superman backing away from the Rock of Kryptonite. So maybe there was something Lois Lane related that was tied in and now isn't going to be tied in. I'm not really sure. I think it just leaves me confused. Uh, Brad, how about you? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Uh, it's it's hard to feel a certain way about a story when you don't even know what the details are at all. Uh, why were these issues pulled? Why are they taking the branding of the year of the villain off of it? Uh, you know, I just, we just like, you know, same way with these delayed issues, we just need more information. Um, yeah, I, it's just hard for me to say because I just don't know what is going on or what the reasoning is behind it. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I'm in that same sort of what is going on 
place that I believe you have both described so well. When it came to the previous announcement, you know, the most that I could gather was that there appeared to be some appearance changes with Lightning Lad that were inconsistent from the cover to the inside pictures and that they wanted to make the color on the cover and the images sort of uh, jive more with the inside. And that was the most I was really able to gain from that previous cover. But now with this new one, I don't really understand why they would remove the one with Lois holding the kryptonite and then change it to one where it's just him backing away. Was that supposed to be a surprise? Is Lois no longer the one that he's squaring off against? Is there something else that we don't get? And really, I'm, I think I'm ending up on that third part, which is, no, there's, there's, there's something we don't know. And because of that, we're just left going, why? Why did this happen? And <laughs> when are we going to find out why it happened? The, the whole confusing thing over Superman 14 and Supergirl 33, it, it's really, uh, it's one of those things where the longer it goes without an explanation, the more it becomes a victim to speculation. And after a while, I, I mean, I can come up with all the theories I want, but none of them give me the answers I would get if someone would just tell us what's really going on. And that's the only feeling I have left after something like this is just like the delays and other things, there's a backstory here. And I'm really going to be disappointed if I have to read it in somebody's book 15 years from now. And only then will I understand what was happening to cause all these complications and why it was I was left in the dark, because that's the only place I really feel I'm at right now. In the dark, looking around, matches won't light, no lighter, no phone, <laughs> help. Um, <laughs> and Kelly, I, I'm hoping that that's the nervous laughter, because you're like, yeah, dude, I'm totally with you. Um, yep. yeah. <laughs> Here we are, bumbling in the dark. You know where we are? No. How about you? No. Brad? <laughs> Brad. Nope. nope. <laughs> How many fingers am I holding up? You can't even Four. see my arm. Ah, crap. Okay. We're all in the dark. Well, we're going to keep bumbling through the dark and calling out to each other during this mystery. But we can at least point to a story that it is showing us the covers, the real covers, and hopefully not replacing them. The uh, news coming out that new joker year of the villain covers have been revealed and i thought they looked pretty cool but you didn't tune into this broadcast to hear my opinion alone so let's start with kelly then brad's and then if you still care about what i had to say uh, i'll give you some stuff kelly what was your take i actually really like the idea that they're they're kind of doing this joker gets his groove back angle for him that he's being out eviled so now he has to extra evil it's uh, i in a weird way it's kind of a funny concept it would also be really interesting to see him go all right everyone's being evil i'm the guy who does the opposite so i'm gonna start doing good things or something crazy like that but even if it's just you know joker is on a war path to prove he's still the craziest most evil character in the dc universe i'm totally fine with that and I, I really liked a lot of the covers. I thought they were really um, artistic, kind of quirky takes on the Joker. I will say that I didn't love the ones featuring Harley Quinn. I don't know. Those ones just didn't really do it for me. They felt kind of, which, and it, it does make sense that if we're going back to the Joker's roots and back to him being the most evil character, that Harley Quinn would show up kind of 
Um, but with the direction her character is moving and her independence and just how much they've developed with her, I, I didn't love the way she's depicted on, I think it was the two covers that she shows up in. There's a, a lot of emphasis kind of on, on her physical anatomy and as compared to her as a character or even her relationship to the Joker. But in any case, for the most part, I really like the covers. I like the concept. Uh, Brad, what did you think? Yeah, I agree with the Harley Quinn part of it. They seemed a little dated, uh, you know, these days. There has been a lot of discussion about just how toxic that relationship is. And maybe it shouldn't be glamorized in a way that these covers kind of do. And you're right, it does focus on the physical rather than the essence of the character. But uh, beyond that, the covers were kind of cool because Joker, you know, talking about the movie, and you can see how different actors have interpreted the character over the years. And it's kind of the same way with these artists. They've interpreted interpreted a, a different part of the character in, in a different way to highlight certain things, which is kind of cool. And just once again goes to show just how versatile uh, the Joker can be. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Brad, you really, uh, you really nailed it right there with versatility. I really felt that this range of covers showed just how many different facets there are to the Joker, how many different ways we've seen him portrayed, how each one is menacing and creepy and terrifying and haunting. And each version is just a, it's like, you know, when there's a dark room and you sort of shift the light over somebody's profile from different directions, the, the degrees of medicine change just with each degree of angle that you shift that light. You both really pointed to something that I'm happy I wasn't the first one to bring up, and I actually knew that with this panel I wouldn't be. The uh, the covers with Harley, they're just over the top. They're unnecessary. And worse, you know, they kind of remind me of this thing, which um, I'm familiar a little bit, just not only because of where I live, but as any true California boy at some point, I, I tried surfing and I've done it here and there and I, I really enjoy it. But there's aspects of the culture where you just find yourself going, okay, we, we never moved past the, the periods when over-sexualization was necessary. Um, there's a bathing suit company called Roxy. And apparently with all the Roxy girls, they all make a point of taking a picture with their backsides facing the camera and then looking over their shoulder, if looking over their shoulder at all. And guys get their pictures taken with girls for that reason alone. And it's this weird sort of seemly part where you just go, okay, I'm sure at some point that was popular and now that popularity rightfully should have faded. But these covers feel like they, they want to almost go back to that period of time as well. And it just feels, I think it was well said, dated. And it also feels really unnecessary, uh, as I think was really well pointed out. Kelly, you brought it up. Brad, you, you followed up really well with it. This is a different Harley Quinn we're reading in the books that are coming out about her. She's evolved. She's grown. She might have been part of you know this relationship with him. She might have you know displayed herself in certain ways as she was kind of embracing her identity, but as she's grown up in it she stepped away from a lot of those things that we all sort of step away from as we stop being young and start growing older and that maturity is something I, I feel like we could really focus on and these covers do a bit of a disservice to so I really appreciate you both for bringing those up I'm hoping that the more responses we get like that the greater will be the understanding that 
We no longer require these levels of fan service. It's just not necessary. It's not something that, you know, is required to sell books or make characters appealing. Harley Quinn's already proven just how good she is. So this isn't necessary. But for what these have to do with the Joker, I just wanted to add this last part, which is two things. One, uh, (laughs) this one shot's written by John Carpenter. Really? (laughs) Like, you know... (laughs) Uh, you know, how did, how did that get missed in, in the rest of the story? Like, they just sort of dropped that in at the end there. Um, and, and two, the idea behind getting his groove back. Kelly, I thought that was a really fun thing to bring up because when you think about the summer, this whole year, the villain has been Joker, Joker, Joker. Like, it, you know, it's almost like that thing where everybody's like, you know, oh, my God, all I hear is Joker, Joker, Joker. Joker's everywhere. Like, Joker is really, you know, or sorry, Joker, Lex Luthor. Wow, I just did that thing. See, this is the thing where you got to catch, right? So the whole summer has been about Lex Luthor as the year of the villain, the guy who killed himself and then partnered with the Apex Predator and took over Martian and Legion of Doom. And where's Joker? He's got his movie. But as far as the year of the villain, he's kind of been left out. Didn't want to take the deal that Lex offered. And now it seems like he's kind of like, He's kind of doing that thing that I love about Joker, which is when all the bad guys have this great plan all figured out and then Joker shows up and they're like, oh, God, he's going to screw it all up because he's just the jerk who does that, that this is his moment to sort of go like, yeah, you thought I was out. (sighs) I'm the Joker, kid. I told you I'm always in this game, especially when you stop thinking about me. So I'm really hopeful to see this sort of, you know, twist he can bring to the year of the villain. I really want to see him just get in there and muck up everything about Lex Luthor because it's been Lex Luthor all summer, not Joker, like I was just babbling about a minute ago. And that, you know, Joker's going to be like, hey, man, I'm (laughs) – come on, man. I'm the scary – I scare Superman, okay? I scare Superman. So, hey, whatever Lex has been doing, I have no problem coming in and just completely mucking up because it says you're the villain, right? And I'm a villain, so – Look out, world. Here I come. I think all of that sort of adds to a lot of great potential. I love that the covers tease this up. I love that, you know, the John Carpenter thing is just sort of like this drop in that makes me think it's going to be even more to the story. Um, And I love everything you guys brought up about the idea of just what we're going to get to see when we do finally get a chance to read this comic. So thank you both. Yeah, you always help inform me. And when I echo a lot of your things, I sound pretty smart. And I got to thank both of you for that. Moving into our final story to uh, close out this episode and our comic book news is the announcement that Doomsday Clock number 12, the last in this 12 issue maxi series, is shooting for November release. Now, that's important for a few reasons, but I'm going to allow Kelly, Brad, give you a little bit of that explanation. And then, you know, they'll say smart stuff. I'll try and summarize. And they usually make me sound smart. Mm -hmm. Kelly, start us off, if you don't mind. So I... On one hand, I will say that I'm glad that somebody is giving fans answers because this announcement, if you know, if you can call it, it's not an official announcement, but it came from a fan just straight up asking, when are we going to see this? And then someone responding with, I think around this day, like it's, it is the instant, the instantaneous answer that we all hope we'll get when we ask, um, you know, the professionals working on a project, what's going to happen next. Um, yeah, I mean, I I hope they can stick to that date. I because it's unofficial, I won't necessarily hold them to it. If um, you know, someone saying, "Oh, I'm pretty sure if this day doesn't 
necessarily mean that it will be, but I hope this doesn't become one of those things where it's like, oh, it's November, no December, uh, no next September, something like that. It's I didn't mean to just rhyme there. But yeah, so I, I'm hoping that it, this isn't a, um, you know, I, I hope that they stay around that rough date. Brad, what did you think? Yeah, me too, because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of gun shy at this point because of all of these delays that we've been dealing with and you know, especially Jeff Johns and uh, Doomsday has been delayed in the past. So, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical that they'll be able to keep this date, but I hope they do because I'm still dying to get my hands on that hardcover when it comes out. So the sooner we can get that, the better, the happier I'll be. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, one, when they get the hardcover, I will be happy. Collect it all together, no longer waiting between delays. I'm going to be a happy, excuse me, a happy guy. Um, that was just an unwilling burp, and it willed its way through. Um, when it comes to, Kelly, what you said, <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody wants, right? You want to be able to say, hey, when's that coming out? And you want the guy to go, hey, next week. You're like, yeah, all right, yeah, I like that. <laughs> You know, and and granted, this isn't next week. This is saying, okay, November. But I do like the idea that there's someone who hopefully was confident enough to say, yeah, yeah, I think it's November. And everybody's like, sure, November works, works, right? I just want this series to finally finish telling its story. Because if you've read through issue number 11, all the pieces are set up. Everything that was sort of hinted at at the beginning and has been quietly building has now reached its crux, and 12 has to not only follow through, but finish. And in finishing, you know, sort of do that thing that it's been promising to do, since both Doomsday Clock and a few of these other were going to change what you think you know about the DC Universe stories began. The delays have made a bit more confusion than I think we needed. These stories were already complex, so I really just wanted to come to a close. And based on this story, I'm hoping for November. And then the other part of me is just hoping that nothing else changes. And man, I wish I had a different response to stories about Doomsday Clock. But right now, given my experience, uh, I don't feel about it, as bad about it as I probably should. <laughs> and really, that's my final take. Guys, it's been a great time. And to all of you listening, thank you for joining us for episode number 41 of the DC Comics News podcast. That was our final story. That means this episode has come to a close. However, what you did here today were some really important and valuable opinions from some great people. And based on that, I'm sure you're going to want to keep up with everything they're doing. Now, you can find them here at DC Comics News, where all their writing is showcased, but since that's not the only place they exist, I want to give you a chance to find out where else you can reach out, make contact, and follow up on their thoughts, comments, or yours about any of these stories we talked about today. Kelly, if the people are looking for you, where's the best place for them to find you out there in the social media, intergalactic internet world? <laughs> I am on Twitter, uh, Kel Gaines Wright, it's G-A-I-N-E-S, and Wright with a W. Um, and you can find my opinion and editorial pieces on DC Comics News. And Brad, where can the people find you should they have questions they still need answers to, my friend? You can find me on Twitter, FlickyB1. That's F-I-L-I-C-K-Y. 
B1, and you can find my news and reviews on DC Comics News. And my name is Seth Singleton. I've been your host today. You can find me here on a semi-regular basis, hanging out with this great crew as part of the DC Comics News podcast team, as well as once a week where I host the Spinner Rack right here on the DC Comics News podcast. I choose my top five books each and every week from DC Comics. I do my best to support and defend my choices, and then I scour the internet looking for your responses. Whether you agree with me or disagree with me, I just want to hear what you have to say. So type my name Seth, my last name Singleton, the word story, into your favorite search engine, and however you come across me, send me a message, because that lets me know that that's the best way for us to communicate, and it's where I feel all the best stories really begin. Keep in mind that you can find episodes of DC Comics News on every major podcast platform, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. If you haven't yet, head over, subscribe, then rate and review. And I'm also going to give a quick little teaser there for our good friend, Mr. Steve J. Ray, who will soon feature an episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series coming soon. If you don't want to miss the first episode, go to your favorite podcast platform, subscribe now. And while you're there, rate and review everything we do, because that's how we know just what you think. If you want to reach us on social media, you can use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. All you have to do is use that tag at DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. And of course, there's only one message we really have for you at the end of each and every podcast. And that is to always read more comics. This has been DC Comics News, episode number 41. We'll see you next time. Thanks again.